Some of you may be familiar with the radio talk show lady, Dr. Laura, Dr. Laura Schlesinger. She's a conservative talk show host. She, as far as I know, is a practicing Jew. Well, at one point, somebody mockingly wrote a letter to Dr. Laura. And I think you'll see some of its bearing in our interest in it today. This person wrote this letter. Thank you for doing so much to educate people regarding God's law. I have learned a great deal from your show and try to share that knowledge with as many people as I can. When someone tries to defend the homosexual lifestyle, for example, I simply remind them that Leviticus 18.22 clearly states it to be an abomination. End of debate. But I do need some advice from you, however, regarding some other elements of God's law and how to follow them. For instance, number one, when I burn a bull on the altar as a sacrifice, I know it creates a pleasing odor for the Lord. In Leviticus 1.9, the problem is my neighbor. They claim the odor is not pleasing to them. Should I smite them? Secondly, I would like to sell my daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21.7. In this day and age, what do you think would be a fair price for her? Number three, I know that I'm allowed no contract with a woman while she is in, uh, allowed no contact with a woman while she is in her period of menstrual uncleanness. The problem is, how do I tell? I've never tried asking, but most women will take an offense. Or how about advice on this one? Leviticus 25.44 says that I may indeed possess slaves, both male and female, provided that they, purchase, uh, they are purchased from neighboring nations. A friend of mine claims this applies to Mexicans, but not to Canadians. Can you clarify? Why can't I own a Canadian? I have a neighbor who insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35 Tuesday. The passage clearly states that he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself? A friend of mine feels even though eating shellfish is an abomination, Leviticus 11.10, it is a lesser lesser abomination than homosexuality. I don't agree. Can you settle this? Are there degrees of abomination? Leviticus 21.20 states that I may not approach the altar of God if I have any defect in my sight. I have to admit, I wear reading glasses. Does my vision have to be 20-20? Or is there some wiggle room? Or how about this one? Most of my male friends get their hair trimmed, including hair around their temples, even though this is expressly forbidden in Leviticus 19.27. How should they die? I know from Leviticus 11, 6 to 8, that touching the skin of a dead pig makes me unclean. But may I still play football if I wear gloves? My uncle has a farm. He violates 1919 by planting two different crops in the same field, as does my wife by wearing garments made of two different kinds of thread, cotton and polyester blend. And so you can understand by this mocking letter that we have a task, a challenge, right? There's all these different laws and prescriptions that we find in the book of Leviticus and really in all the Torah. And how are we to understand them as New Covenant Christians? And I would suggest that Dr. Lohr has a far more difficult problem than we do. Okay, I would suggest that Judaism has no real legitimate answer to these questions of why aren't these things practiced. But as New Covenant Christians, we can see that many of them have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. There are many pictures and types and shadows as the New Testament authors describe them that find their fulfillment and culmination in Christ. And this is one reason why we don't practice some of those types and ceremonies. 
But then also we understand and appreciate as new covenant Christians, we are not under a theocracy like ancient Israel was. And so there are certain civil laws with criminal punishments that apply to the nation of Israel that do not apply to God's kingdom people today. But I think it is helpful to understand God's law as, as a kind of a tree. And if you look at the trunk of that tree, we can see that there, that there are those most basic commands that we see both in Old and New Testament, namely Deuteronomy 6.5, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And another one from Deuteronomy 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is kind of the, the main trunk of the tree. And then there, there's other large branches that come off of that tree uh, that are even in other summary standards of God's law, for instance, that we find in the Decalogue of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, uh, or in uh, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And then there's, there's other laws and commands that come out from that on smaller branches and even leaves. And while some of these leaves may drop off, uh, the trunk and, and, and many of those main branches stay the same. And so we're going to see different laws in, in many respects that are kind of like leaves on the tree that have fallen off. But nonetheless, if you trace those leaves back to the trunk and back to larger branches, you can see something of their applicability for us today as New Covenant Christians. So, let's look at three different laws that we find here in Deuteronomy, or Deuteronomy, Leviticus chapter 19. The first law I'm summarizing is you got to protect the creation order. Now, I mentioned earlier on in this series in Leviticus 19 that this chapter really can be broken up into two halves. And the, the, the first half begins with Moses saying, you are to keep my statutes. And this begins the second half in verse 19 and following, you are to, you are to keep my statutes. In each of these sections, uh, in, in verses 1 through 18, in verses 19 through the end of the chapter, each of them have this repetition of the statement, I am the Lord your God, or I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh, or I am Yahweh your God. And that repetition we, we find symmetrically equivalent uh, in its number of times in both halves of this chapter. And each half also has 21 laws in it. <clears throat> and the first of these laws in this last section is an interesting commandment. It says, You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle, nor shall you sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment upon you, of two kinds of material mixed together. This is a seemingly strange kind of commandment, not to breed two different kinds of animals. Remember, in the creation account, God, when he created the animal world, he created different kinds of animals, okay? And remember, that was the same qualification in, into what animals came into the ark. There were to be animals of, of different, the different kinds, now, we have different classifications of animals today, whether species or genus or families, but, but the biblical kind of category is one of kinds. And the text says that you are not to mix the kinds of these animals. And, and if you look at the surrounding pagan culture, the Canaanites who lived in the land that, that the Israelites were going to possess after they're brought into the land during the, the book of Joshua... Or, or as well as the Egyptians, the, the people that the, the Hebrews came out of, all these pagan cultures would regularly have images and symbols in their worship where there was a mixing of kinds of animals. In Mesopotamia, there was demons, monsters, and minor protective deities that were depicted as bulls and lions with human heads. There was lion centaurs and snake dragons and goatfish and birdmen and scorpion people and so on. And so it's no wonder that God here would, ha would have a stipulation in his commandments as he's calling his people to be different 
as he's calling his people to be holy and set apart, devoted to him, that he would forbid them to uh, breed these different animals, to try to come up with uh, these kinds of cross animals. And also similarly, when it comes to plants in Genesis 111 says, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind and seed in them. And it was so. In Genesis 112, it says, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And so, what we see here in these commands here in verse 19, not to mix animals of their kind or seeds of, the, uh, of, of different kinds, is this call, I think, to keep distinct what God has made distinct. To keep separate what God has made to be separate. One commentator Sklur, in his commentary on Leviticus, he says, This verse teaches that the Lord's holy people acknowledge his kingship by respecting the categories he has established. It gives three commands. The first two are alike in prohibiting cross-breeding or cross-fertilization of living things, different kinds of animals, two different kinds of seeds. This was similar to prohibitions in the realm of sexuality where God forbids mixing together what he has created to be distinct. To do so is to rebel against his creational design and therefore his position as creator. You see, there are certain things that God has made distinct and separate. And I think this also has bearing on those unclean laws that are found in chapters 11 through 15 because the different animals that are demonstrated to be unclean are animals that don't fit the proper category of land animals or, 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 uh, or animals that fly or, or sea animals. They're kind of like a, a mix. And, and so this, this command here highlights that there are certain things in creation that are made to be distinct. That to try to confuse those distinctions is to rebel against the Creator. This past October, Stanford Medical School applauded itself as they conducted research in planting human stem cells into the brain of a rat. Now, apart from the sobering reality that almost certainly these human cells were taken from a murdered unborn baby, I mean, what could possibly go wrong with putting human brain tissue into a rat? I mean, one advantage that we have over the animals is that we're smarter than them. Would you like rats in your house with 150 IQ? I don't think so. But of course it happens in other ways as well. We see with the feminist movement that has pervaded this country and has found its way bleeding into the church that seeks to obliterate distinctions between, between men and women that seeks to assert that a woman can do everything that a man can do this blurs the distinctions I mean there's the, the biological difference that we see between men and women are reflective of the creational differences that God has given so that God has given men more strength and and physical abilities so that they can be protectors and leaders that God has given a a kind of softness to women in order to, to be followers to be nurturers 
And when we seek to obliterate these distinctions, we pervert what God has designed for the good and flourishing of humanity. And so that we all recognize that there's something grotesque when a woman acts like a man or when a man acts like a woman. It's no wonder that another one of the laws in Deuteronomy 22, 4 and 5 says a woman shall not wear a man's clothing. And and that the the phrase translated a man's clothing there is is the idea of military equipment. A, a, A woman shall not be wearing a man's military equipment, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And so God gives these commands so that, so that we, we would see that there are certain distinctions in the created order that God has designed, and this is for our good. And when we seek to blur those distinctions, we do to our own detriment. Perhaps if you think of it like this, take a European sports car. Let's say a Ferrari Testarossa. And take that European sports car and let it drive in off-road terrain. What's going to happen? It's not going to go so well, right? Tires are going to be spinning out. It's going to be stuck. It's going to get damaged in some kind of pothole. Now, take a Jeep or a side-by-side, some kind of vehicle that was designed for off-road driving and you put that vehicle off-road and it's able, it's got the suspension, it's got the tires, it's got the four-wheel drive, it's able to maneuver, it's able to handle the bumpiness. Well, why the difference? Well, if we were to, after taking that Ferrari Testarossa to interview the engineers and designers of the Ferrari and say, why can't this vehicle ride in the off-road? They would say, hey, knucklehead, it's not meant for that. You're a moron for trying to drive it off-road, right? Well, in a similar way, God, the architect and designer of humanity... He has created men and women. In one sense, they're equal as image bearers, but there's distinctions and differences that God has made that are for the beauty and glory of God. And when we seek to blur those distinctions, we do so to our own detriment. And God says, knucklehead, that's not what I designed it for. Of course, we see this as well with the whole quote-unquote transgender movement where there's this blurring of distinctions where there's this belief that's upheld that if I feel like I'm the opposite sex then I can somehow by seemingly divine fiat declare myself to be such. But that's not how reality works. I may feel like a 21-year-old who weighs 210 pounds and has 3% body fat. But then I look in the mirror and reality sets in. It doesn't matter how I feel. It's reality. Truth. If God has created you and given you two X chromosomes, you are a female. And God has designed you in certain ways. And and yes, there can be certain times in which in this fallen and sinful world, we feel uncomfortable and we feel like we just don't fit in. But my friend, don't buy into the lies that would defy God and his created order. But then there's this last one here in verse 19. To not... Mix two kinds of material together. Now, this one's a little bit unique. Because there were certain garments in ancient Israel that God had commanded to be mixed together. 
And so here we have this command, don't mix together these different materials. In Exodus 28, verse 5, in, when it's describing the uniform of the high priest, it says they shall take the gold and the blue and the purple and the scarlet material and the fine linen. So the uniform of the high priest was mixed linens. And so here we have this command for all of Israelites, you're not to mix the garments. And so it would appear within the context of the Pentateuch that this was a, a command that was related to don't try to wear the uniform of a high priest if you're not one. I, I mean, maybe the closest uh, equivalent we might have in our culture today would be somebody who's impersonating a police officer, wearing a uniform of a police officer, going around flashing a badge. That doesn't go over very well, at least not if you get caught doing it. It's illegal. It's wrong. And so God had made this distinction between the priesthood and the high priesthood and the rest of Israel, and this distinction was to be kept. And we do find times in ancient Israel where people tried to kick against those distinctions. Remember Korah? Dathan and Abiram. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took others, and they rose up before Moses together with some of the... 